Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. It's no secret that I am not a lawyer. I am not even a law student. But for cultural awareness, it is very important that we view things uh, from many different perspectives. And so today, I'm going to jump into legal historical proof, what that means and why it's important. Okay. What this means essentially is it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So for example, I cannot know for fact what you had for dinner last night. You can, but you can't prove it. What you can do is through a process, which I'm going to go over, you can provide legal historical proof, and therefore we can come to the reasonable conclusion that you had whatever you, you actually had for dinner. So you may know it is fact before anybody else because we have to go through that process. All right, so it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All right, this is really an important concept. So I, I hope that for all my listeners, I, I hope that you take this to heart because there are things that are factual in history that we try to deny at times. People attempt at times to change history. That's a truth. That's a reality. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is a great example. You catch a fish that's eight inches long. And the next year, man, that sucker is 10 inches long. And the year after that, you know, it was over a foot, you know, and in 15 years, I mean, that fish could be two feet long. Right. Like we, we and we don't always even do it on purpose. We incrementally exaggerate or minimize and therefore we change history. That's really an important concept, because if we do that on purpose, we can distort all kinds of views. But what does the legal historical proof say is reality? We cannot forget that. If we wrote in our journal that first year that it was an eight-inch fish, but 15 years later, we're saying that thing was like two feet long, but we go back to the journal and it says eight inches, which one is more likely to be true? All right. I'm going to give you other examples as we go. So just hang in there with me. Another reason why it matters, people assume things can't be proven outside of the scientific method. This is actually pretty common. People are like, hey, you know, like apply the scientific method and you will understand. Well, some things can't be proven outside of the scientific method or inside of the scientific method. I apologize. I'll give you an example. What I ate for lunch yesterday. Why? 
because I can't put it in a controlled environment. I can't repeat it. It was yesterday and I ate it. It's gone. All right. So there's other examples like who you dated in high school. It's not repeatable. I mean, you could have dated them in college, but that wasn't the same thing. That was you dated them in high school and you dated them in college. All right. What you watched on TV, not provable from a scientific method. Can't prove it. What about Abraham Lincoln being the president of the United States or being shot? Can you prove it? No, because we can't repeat the experiment. In these types of examples, we use what we call legal historical proof. And it's a very different thing than the scientific method. Another reason why it's important is because people take things out of context. I'll give you an example of one that came up with me just recently. The, uh, somebody was telling me that the Constitution of the United States suggests that the United States is designed to be secular. Well, I get why people think that. However, if you read the context of the Constitution and we apply the principles of legal historical proof, which I will teach you if you don't know in just a few minutes, what we learn is that in the preamble of the Constitution, it talks about blessings of liberty. And when we apply those in context of the time period and using the legal historical proof model, what we discover is that beyond a reasonable doubt, the entire constitution is not faithless like the secular world might teach. It is filled with individual belief in a higher power, God. And that is factual beyond a reasonable doubt if you apply the legal historical proof model. Um, by taking things out of context, I know I already said this once, uh, but there's this minimization or exaggeration that goes on with, with people. And this, this model helps to clarify that. But I wanted to say that real quick before I jump into, you know, when people take things out of context, one of the, one of the greatest examples is pull out your old yearbook from high school, one of them. Look at comments that were stated there and then think of the narrative at the time versus your narrative of today. And you're going to see real quick the contextual change. The contextual change is big and it makes a big difference in understanding. All right. So why does this matter today? Uh, well, there's, there's lots of reasons I'm going to get into just a few. Uh, I just want to paint a picture of why I'm doing this today. Uh, and it's one because it's possible. We are losing the art of understanding reality there. I, I recently did a, a distortions podcast and in the social science world, we are using his, this, this model, this model of legal historical proof way more than the general population. It's just, that's just a reality. I use this way more than the general population. And when I did that podcast, I started to think like, 
you know what? What is it that makes therapists think differently at times? This is one of those things that makes a therapist think differently. We can't get scientific factual proof on most of the things that come to us. We can't. Right? We can do research and we can create data sets and we can do all of this really important stuff. And we do. At the end of the day, a client sits in front of me and I'm applying the legal historical proof model far more than I am the scientific model because they're telling me a story that to them, at least they're presenting it as though it's fact, right? And I have to weigh, is it fact? Is this real or are there distortions in here that I can tease out by using the legal historical proof model? So that's one reason. Another reason why it matters so much today is because there is so much data capturing on the internet. There's so much communication changes, so much communication changing going on, so much that the methods have evolved so quickly that some cannot comprehend the old way. And the old way is not necessarily right or wrong, but it's important we don't lose the context of the old way, right? That's supposed to be passed forward for a reason. I'll give you probably the easiest example I can. Uh, toilet paper. Toilet paper is a great example. Pre-toilet paper. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have no idea what pre-toilet paper means. None. Zero percent. Right? I, I'm, I'm betting that that's not even a stretch. I'll bet none of you. Now, that doesn't mean you haven't experienced running out of toilet paper. But when you ran out of toilet paper, it's not like you failed to know what toilet paper was. You went, oh, crud, I'm out of toilet paper and this is bad. Right? But what happens post-toilet paper? That's what we all know. Some of you may not understand what pre-toilet paper means, but we should not lose that. Because if we lose that, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Like what would happen, remember 2020, what would happen if there was a shortage of toilet paper and we didn't actually have toilet paper? I mean, people lived for thousands of years without toilet paper. I know it's hard to believe, but we did. So can you fathom it? I mean, maybe to a degree, but do you truly understand life without toilet paper? No, not at all. But we don't want to lose that context. It helps us to appreciate the modern context post-toilet paper, like now that we have it, right? And Or you could say bidet, right? Like we could do the same thing if you're not using toilet paper anymore, all right? I put that into context because this whole data capturing, this internet, this communication changing, these things are evolving so quickly that if we're not careful, we can lose context of history. We can lose an understanding of what it really meant at the time. And we don't want to do that. As soon as we do that, we start to lose track 
of historical facts. And we say historical facts because they are legal historical proof that exists in context. All right, so the art. Let me tell you what the art of this is. It's really not super difficult. There's really three things, and then I'm going to add a fourth because it's so unbelievably critical. Um, but if you study this, it's going to tell you these three. Oral testimony, that means it's verbally passed on. Written testimony, that means it's it's in writing somewhere, of course. Or the, the third one is, you know, it, I've heard it termed two different ways, exhibits or physical, right? That, that would be like bullets, notebooks, uh, you know, something tangible that you can grab onto and you can say, hey, that's evidence. Now, it doesn't tell the whole story by itself. It can't because we, we have to do the fourth thing, which is put it in context. What they meant at the time is more important than what we want it to mean today. We don't get to change the meaning today because we have a new narrative. We have to understand it in context of the time. If you look back at old poets, it becomes very clear. You can't, you can't assume today's context and overlap it with yesterday's context. You can't do that. You have to use yesterday's context for yesterday's content today's context for today's content. And down the road, we'll have to use whatever the context is down the road. Okay. Limitations. There are limitations to every model. I'm going to tell you one of the, the, the most profound limitations that exists in this. Proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what it is. That's the limitation of this model. We although we can say it's historical fact, we still have to acknowledge that new context or new exhibits or new written testimony or, well, oral testimony, potentially, right? Down a different path that was captured in that same time period may shift the legal historical proof, right? So it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, the good news with this, even though that is a pretty significant limitation, the good news with this is when we look back in history, more often than not, if new information does come in, it doesn't often make massive shifts. It's very rare that a massive shift would occur. It's more typical that this new information creates a nuanced understanding, not a massive shift in factual data, factual information. So when we capture that as a whole, it means the truth still exists, but can not always be quote unquote proven, right? Proven is, is different, right? In science, proven means you got to be able to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, control the environment, stuff like that. But in legal historical proof, what we would say is proven is when we do find new material of a certain time period and it fits the already existing narrative perfectly or darn near perfectly. That would be, hey, more proof. 
So what do we do with all of this? Now, that's a great question, and it's one that I try to answer on this podcast routinely. When you consume anything about history, there's four things to consider. Was it oral history? Was it written history? Now, I'm going to caveat here for just a second. If it was oral history that became written history, because that happens, we have to look at the context of the oral history and the context of the written history, because they may be different. They may be, they may be used different language, right? There's different words in different cultures. There's different words over different time periods. So we have to consider both the oral history and the written history. Then what is the physical evidence? And what's the context at the time? The time of the oral history, the time of the written history, and the time period of the physical evidence, right? If, if somebody tells you that they were looking at DNA from something that was, you know, from, you know, uh, 1202, well, there's some serious questions to be asked. DNA, 1202? I'm pretty sure science didn't understand DNA until like well into the 1900s, like well in, almost to the 2000s. So how is that going to fit in context? Not very well. Let me give you some examples that I want you to, to, these are just for potential exploration. All right. These are, these are not telling you, these are definitely not the end all be all, but they are examples that I want you to ponder these four to do's, right? The oral, was it oral history? Was it written history? What is the physical evidence and what's the context at the time? Those are the four things. So let's, let's run it through. Uh, one, one document that people often refer to when they're looking at legal historical proof would be the Bible. The Bible has a lot of context of certain time periods. Was it oral history? Yeah, it was that. Was it written history? Yes. What is the physical evidence? Well, we, we have writings that were then transcribed millions of times. And then what's the context at the time? So at that time, one of the things that people don't understand at times about the Bible, well, I'm not, I'm not asking you if you believe or don't believe that that is, that's up to you to figure out what I'm, what I'm pointing to is the legal historical proof. When we look at the stories of the Bible, we often, the vast majority of the time see that they came from different peoples. Well, if you put it in context, Back in that time, a lot of times the different peoples had different languages. They couldn't even communicate. They didn't, you know, there weren't a lot of people who knew multiple languages like we have today. And so if it's passed down orally through one people, through another group of people that don't speak the same language, through another group of people, and we find written context throughout those generations in several different uh, groups of people, 
then what we can say is legal historical proof has been met. Why? Because it's not like today where everybody's on the internet. The time period is different. The context is different. Therefore, if multiple groups of people who cannot communicate effectively across uh, borders, I mean, there were invisible borders, but you know, across peoples, were capturing similar information over the same time period, and it has gone through oral history, written history, there's physical evidence, what we can then conclude is that the vast majority or darn near all of the context in the Bible is actually true based on legal historical proof. You don't have to like it or, or, or agree with it. I'm using this model to help you understand it. All right, the Constitution, right? We, we do this oral history. Yeah, there's oral history. We, we've, we've heard about it for you know, a long time here in the United States. Is there written history? Absolutely. There's, there's all the letters that were written during the time period that were captured. There was, well, I don't know, the actual constitution, which is held in the National Archives Museum. You can go look at it. So there's definitely written history. And the physical evidence, again, you know, through written history, we get to check off both of those boxes, often at the same time, right? It's written and there's physical evidence. So when we compare letters that were written by the people setting up the constitution. We, you know, talk about the oral history and we understand how that was passed on from family to family to family, uh, and so on. When we put all of that in context, we can say beyond a reasonable doubt that the constitution exists. And when we put it in context, it's accurate for its time. Okay. So we go on. You know, another great one I like to do that's current is, you know, something that is, um, you know, that's current and in our culture right now, there's HR five, three, seven, six. It's the, uh, uh, the committee on finance, the deficit reduction act, right? It's what you've heard about in the media. So let's, let's test this out through legal historical proof. Uh, was there an oral history? Oh yeah. Like we could, we could go into like podcast after podcast and find the different oral histories around it. We also can see the conflicting oral history, right? Because the time period today is very different. We see people, you know, saying this or that about it from, you know, the left side or the right side, or, you know, there's, there's tons of oral history. All right. Then we can go, okay, was there written history? Well, yeah, I can pull up the, uh, the 117th Congress, 2021 to 2022, HR 5376, and it's got a summary online. Well, that's written history. Yes, it's electronic, but it's still written. I can get all of the details, like all of them. I can read the actual text without having to see the actual text in Washington, D.C. So it's accessible, right? That's good. And then what's the context of the time period? Well, that's something that we're going to have to see over time, right? The context of today is very hard to assess when we're looking at legal historical proof because there's so many different slants within the time. But as we get further away, the context will become clearer, um, it, at least to a certain point. So like 10 years from now, we'll have a much better understanding of the context of today. 
there is a point at which it begins to deteriorate. All right. So we got to, we got to really be careful about that. Um, but it's important. We take a look at that and we go, yep. HR five, three, seven, six is, you know, definitely legal historical proof would suggest that it's, it's definitely a real thing. It's factually true. Okay, great. It does exist. So, you know, we can tell that that's, that's a good one. Um, that I had spaghetti pizza pie for dinner last night. Okay. Let's go through the oral history. I just told you. So oral history now exists, written history. Well, there's not going to be a lot, but what we could do is look, there's a calendar on our fridge. Uh, my, my wife likes to do this. She, she writes down, uh, what we have options for dinner and you're going to see that it's on there. The issue there though, is sometimes she switches them up. So I'm telling you, I had it last night for dinner. But she might say, well, it shows on the calendar that we had it on, on Tuesday. Well, there's a contradiction there. Which one is true and which one is not true? Remember, truth still exists regardless of whether I want it to be true or not. That's, the, that's just a reality. You don't have to like that. It's just the way it works. And so... I go on to the next one. Well, what's the evidence? Well, I have some evidence for you. In my fridge at work right now, I have leftover spaghetti pizza pie. Well, that doesn't mean you didn't have it on Tuesday. Maybe it's a couple of days old, not just one. Okay, fair enough. So then I put it in context. I could put all of this in context of, okay, let's check with my daughter. A a less biased third party observer. Let's get her oral history and see if it matches up with my oral history. Let's get the context of my wife, right? If I add in these oral histories, then we could beyond a reasonable doubt say it is a fact. I had spaghetti pizza pie for dinner last night. Now without those, it might be kind of hard to prove, but with those, it becomes easier. One of my big takeaways, please hear this. This is, this is a super big takeaway. Reality exists and truth exists despite what you may want it to say, right? You are going to have your slant. I may have my own slant. I do. In certain things, I'm going to have a slant and reality still exists regardless of whether I want it to or not. I know you've heard me say that a few times, but it is so important that we understand reality still exists, even if you don't like what it says. Great examples of that. I've provided some to you. The Bible says what the Bible says. You don't have to like that it speaks a lot of truth over those historical moments of time. And yet it does. The Constitution, the same thing. You don't have to like what it says, but truth still exists whether you like it or you don't. Same with HR 5376. Whether you like it or you don't, the truth still exists. It's real. It's happening. It's being implemented today. And the truth still exists about spaghetti pizza pie. The truth still exists. You may never know 
for sure. Because people in this world can tell lies. I'm not going to do that. Not ever on purpose will I do that. And yet you may never know beyond a reasonable doubt. You may trust me and believe what I'm saying, or you may not, but the facts still exist. The reality still exists. I had spaghetti pizza pie for dinner last night. That's a truth. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. It's still the truth, the reality. That's what it is. With that, I'm going to let you go and ponder. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives.com with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives, make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com. 